You're tuned in to Beltway Beef, official commentary of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Policy Division here in Washington, D.C. I'm Chase Adams. We're talking with Kent Backus, NCBA, Director of International Trade. Now, Kent, late last week, China announced that they would be opening their market to U.S. beef exports. Let's talk a little bit about why that market was closed in the first place and the steps that the U.S. beef industry, along with our government, have taken to resume beef trade. Well, this really all started with the cow that stole Christmas back in 2003, and we saw a lot of our export markets close overnight. Uh, Since then, it's been a top priority for the U.S. beef industry to restore access to all of those markets. And China is the latest market to announce that they were going to reopen for U.S. beef. This is a big development considering it's taken 13 years and a lot of education on the part of the U.S. beef industry, not only the safety but the quality of our product, to really help address all those concerns that China's had. So we've worked very closely with our government, with the Chinese government, and with the consumers in, uh, in China to make sure they understand exactly how safe our product is and why we should be able to export to their market. Now, for U.S. cattle producers, this, of course, is great news, and as you say, something that we've been working on for over a decade. Once fully implemented, that Chinese market holds a tremendous potential, and they've got a growing middle class that's demanding high-quality protein. You're exactly right. I mean, when you look at China's population overall, it's one-fifth of the world's population with a middle class that's larger than the entire population of the United States. This is not only a population that wants protein, they want beef. And beef demand in China has continued to grow. And as soon as we're able to get our foot in the door and be able to compete, we have a product that will outcompete all of the other markets that are there. So we're very excited about this development, and we want to restore full access as soon as possible. Now, we know that China has talked about traceability, and we also know that there are some next steps yet to do. So tell me a little about what those next steps look like and any kind of possible timeline. So the first step, obviously, was lifting the ban, and we had to get the Ministry of Agriculture to make that announcement. The second step involves AQSIQ, or essentially the FSIS, the food safety equivalent in China. Uh, They're going to really set the terms of trade, which means uh, what our product, uh, you know, can and cannot contain, uh, what uh, uh, methods of production we can use, and really we're going to have to negotiate all that. So it's really uncertain yet as to what the final Uh, product will look like going into the Chinese market. But when you look at the overall timeline, there's not a set timeline, so to speak. But when you look at how quickly uh, China has worked with countries like Canada and Brazil to restore that access once they lifted their ban, I think this could be a matter of months. And this is definitely something that we're going to continue to push and ask our government to continue to make a top priority. Now, Kent, we've long held that exports add value to U.S. cattle and support our domestic market. All that brings dollars back to producers right here at home. Now, solidifying the Chinese market is a major step in the right direction, and it also supports our position on the importance of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and continuing to lead trade in the Pacific. Well, you know, Asia and, Asia and the Pacific Rim overall represent the fastest-growing population in the world and the fastest-growing economies. These consumers want protein as part of their diet, and we want to be in competition uh, for that demand. So when you look at it overall, if we don't secure these markets for our producers, our competitors are already out there trying to secure markets for their producers. That means it's going to be less competitive for us, and they can potentially push us out of those markets. 
that means we're going to lose that value-added sale that we have into those Asian markets. That's why we need everyone out there to continue to engage with their congressional representatives and their senators and push for a yes vote on TPP this fall. Now, despite debate rhetoric, we certainly do have some good news on TPP, and it seems like uh, it seems like we're seeing some good signs that this could come up in the lame duck. Well, we're certainly starting to see a change in tone from members of Congress, especially some in, in uh, positions of leadership. You know, Senator Orrin Hatch, who's had some of the strongest reservations about TPP, he recently said that there's a strong chance that we'll have a vote on TPP during the lame duck. I think we need more of that messaging coming out of Congress. We need everyone out there to continue to engage so that we can put pressure on House and Senate leadership so that they will have a vote this fall. We cannot afford to push this to an, to the next president, to a new Congress. We need TPP now. Thanks, Kent. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until we meet again, eat beef and check us out online at beltwaybeef.com or visit beefusa.org.